for your information is brought to you by Paul's Little Friends Gun Shop. Who's selling you little death friends? Just Paul. That's all. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. and everything in it welcome to for your information a podcast about good movies better cocktails and best friends we're your host zach and i am john and this week we are on the second part of our tale of two tony series scarface from 1983 if you didn't check out our first episode on uh, the scarface from 1932 last week be sure to check it out yeah, you know, you know, Zach, you, you know what? You can tell a lot about a Cuban by uh, his favorite type of sandwich. Uh, I think uh, Tony Montana is a, uh, he's a Cuban sandwich guy. Um, you think he's, so you think he's pure and simple Cuban sandwich? Because I, I, I don't know, man. He's pretty anti-Cuba. He is, uh, but a sandwich is a sandwich. I think uh, other famous Cubans know that as well. Um Fidel Castro, uh, also a Cuban sandwich guy. Um, uh, well, his Cuban sandwich has to have a cigar in the middle. Yes, of course. I, no, I think you're getting that confused with the uh, Havana roulette, which is where they get a lazy Susan out and they blindfold a guy and they get him to spin the lazy Susan and on it is laid out a bunch of Cuban cigars, except one of them isn't a cigar. It's just a turd. And so he has to pick one at random. And if he picks the cigar, he gets the cigar. If he picks the turd, he has to smoke the whole turd right there. Uh, how? Okay. Th- this is terribly derailed already. How does one smoke a, just a turd? Like, okay, uh, I've given it some thought. I, I think you have to take like a, like a milkshake straw and core out the middle, you know, like it's like, it's like, it's like a smoothie or something. And then you just light the end, but it's not going to stay on fire. Cause it's, you know, dung. So you have to have like a blowtorch. Well, I mean, like, doesn't poop stay on fire though? Like, because I mean, isn't that how like, you know, w- like in 1980s teen comedies when they would like, you know, poop in a bag and then they'd set it on fire and then put it on like, you know, the principal's doorstep or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, it smolders, which makes it great for smoking. I'm mean, great for smoking. It's, it does smoke. It's not something you want to smoke, but it will smoke. I can only imagine that killing you. Uh, yeah. I'm mean, it Jenkins a thing. So why well, not yeah, smoke a turd? But that's that's like the fermented gas. Yeah, of, yeah you're of just like accelerating the, the process. It's like the difference between doing a dip and smoking a cigarette. But I don't think so because like one is evaporation and one is like like melting. Like you're essentially melting the turd. That's not the same as evaporation. Well, evaporation yeah, comes a... from melting, but I don't. I just don't think it's the same thing. You're using the blowtorch and it's a high enough temperature to guarantee combustion of the turd log. This, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna let that one die because. <laughs> A, we need to move on, and B, I really don't want to spend the first 20 minutes of this episode talking about the scientific method of how how do you burn slash evaporate a turd. Well, you know, I've heard a lot about Cuban cigars, and I think it might be worth the risk. Okay, someone get Vsauce on it. Does he still make videos? I don't know. I- I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. I literally could not care less. If we're still in operation, he's still in operation. That is true. Anyway, so Scarface from 1982. 
Uh, it's no secret. I think I kind of like brought it up last episode. I'm not super into this movie, but John, you've never seen it. So how do you feel? You've now seen like one of the quintessential like dude movies. You know, I see why people say that. Uh, it is an action movie. It is a crime movie. It is uh, like a, almost like a mob movie, more of a gangster movie, I guess. But like, I don't know if this just screams dude movie to me necessarily. I think it is just like a Hollywood trope fest. Like so much mm-hmm. came out of this movie that I've seen in so many other, you know, movies that got like parodied and rehashed and like reintroduced so many times. It's almost like I had seen the movie, but I really had not seen anything out of just a couple of snippets from a couple of scenes. Right. It's it's one of those movies where it kind of kind of like we talked about with Jaws, where it, you've kind of seen it because you've yeah. seen it parodied so much. And like, you know, of course, like the say hello to my little friend thing. It's like, you know, that's that's everywhere. Like everybody knows that scene. Everybody knows that like little still image of him about to shoot the grenade Mm -hmm. it's 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 iconic like that's the whole thing with this movie it's like most of it is like very iconic agreed and I, I just, I really don't get it. I've never gotten it with this movie because it's, there's so many better like gangster movies, I guess for lack of a better term, even though like, I don't know if this technically qualifies as a gangster film. Cause I think, I think a gangster film has to be the mob or like, you know, I think it's a period piece. This is like a crime network movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe as close as you would get to a cartel movie without being like a documentary. Right, right, right. And it they wanted it to have that feel, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Like, I, I can't remember. When I was researching, they kind of said that they wanted it to feel as real as possible, almost like a documentary. And it's like, but it's so melodramatic. It is. Um, But I definitely, I, I believe the characters. And, like, I believe the melodrama to a point. Because I have known people like that. That are just eccentric enough and also just serious enough to be kind of edgy at all times. And it's, it's just... I don't, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm, I'm going to introduce a new segment here just because I want to get it out of the way. Let's go to the hot takes corner. So ah. in the right corner, we have Scarface with, you know, that's made millions and billions of dollars in merchandising. And then in the other corner, you have me. I'm going to lose. <laughs> but what I will say is like, if you love this movie, I completely understand. It's not my cup of tea, but I mean, I do have a, cu- a couple of points that I want to go through really quick. And remember, this is just my opinion opinion so please don't get fucking pissed at me all right so you know the first thing is like this movie is so fucking long it is really long like you could watch the original scarface twice in the amount of time it takes to watch this one and there's just so much dead screen time like it's just it's not warranted at all to me so you think they could have like pared it down by maybe like a half hour or more or more like honestly like i don't know where i would cut just because it's like (sighs) see with this movie like i could kind of tell what they were trying to do they were trying to like you know flesh out tony's character more so that when you so that like you know you see him change over the film but like i don't that's my biggest thing is like i don't feel like he changes that much like does he get more money as the money go as the movie goes on yes but like he doesn't like he doesn't change he's still the same guy just with more money yeah i think maybe it's teasing out the uh shadier parts of his character and it like puts certain pieces of him to the test but not others and that does make for uh, a a bit of complexity i think because in so many ways he goes from being the one guy into being the other guy He, he almost he goes from 
rags to riches, but he retains certain, like the kid thing. You know, how he says several times throughout the movie how he wants kids. Like, he's got to have kids. That's something that's really important to him. And then at the one point at near the UN building where the assassin's going to blow up the car and the family's in the car, he just can't stomach that. He's come this far. But even that part, it, it, like, he still has boundaries. Up until the end, he still has boundaries, even if the boundaries shift. Yeah, it's... Like, I get that, and he does have an arc, kind of, but, like, I just feel like his character doesn't change that much. Like, I feel like he doesn't learn anything. It's just, like, he pretty much just goes for excess until it literally kills him. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, I see that. Uh, he's, he is not meant for the role that he occupies, you know, and like they said at a couple points in the, in the movie, like, the guys that want it all never last, and he doesn't see himself as the guy that wants it all, but he is the guy that wants it all, and it does catch up to him. Yeah, and it catches up to, like, the, the best scene in the whole movie is like the last like couple of minutes but you know and I, I guess that's the point of the movie but like there is not one likable character in this movie like they're all pretty bad you think so like I guess Manny is a uh, is probably the most likable character because I don't think we're supposed to like Tony. Mm, yes and no. Uh, I he's he's almost like an anti-hero type character. I think who Tony he's or dark? Manny? Uh, Tony because he's not a bad guy necessarily. He does have principles. He does do the right thing sometimes but he clearly is in for his own interests ninety nine percent of the time. Right, and I don't know if that makes him an anti-hero though. I mean, uh, I, th I, I think he is a villain who is the main character of the story. I, I, okay. So he is a protagonist, but he is a dark protagonist, maybe not an anti-hero. Right. That's what, that's what I think. I mean, because in no way should you model yourself after him. No, other than maybe just being ambitious. Yeah, I mean, th that, I will say, he's very ambitious. And, like, it, it does seem like in certain aspects of, like, social culture, he has his head on straight. But then, yeah. in, other, but then in other instances, he's just killing people for no reason. Right, and also, or just let's getting not... belligerently drunk in a restaurant. Exactly. And then let's not forget, like, how he's making his money. He's making his money off of killing people with cocaine. So he's either yes. killing you because he wants the cocaine you have, or he's killing, or he's killing you because he's selling you the cocaine. Yeah, yeah, I... I I think that might be a part of it. I, I don't know. It, it was a period thing, I think. Like, again, oh, we've yeah. said many, many times before that the 80s was about excess. This movie is also about excess. It's also about cocaine because in the 80s, they really loved them some cocaine. Exactly. Like, cocaine, crack cocaine, no matter what it was, whatever coast you were on, you were doing some kind of cocaine. Right. It's and like Pepsi Crystal. <laughs> Could you hide cocaine in Pepsi Crystal? Uh, you can hide cocaine in whatever you want as long as you're creative enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's see if I have any other points here. Um, um, I just, like, the cinematography is really good, but, like, I feel like it's kind of wasted. I see what you mean. I, I think that they, hmm, it is dark, it is atmospheric, it is almost vapor-wavy, um, and mm -hmm. I think that it follows the, uh, it, it does follow his character arc a little bit, because, again, especially in the last few scenes, where things get really dark with Tony, and things in his environment are just kind of claustrophobic and right. not appealing anymore, but nothing really changed you know like it's the same room it's just in a slightly different light or whatever you know that type of thing um mm -hmm. it there's an appeal to it i like it i don't know that it's wasted but i do agree with you this cinematography is just like tasty yeah the cinematography is like great 
and it's i mean you can see it's like brian de palma is like very famous for like how he shifts the camera like he wants to keep things in focus or centered that he wants you to see as much as possible like for example um when you watch a car in the movie like if you see a car pulling into a parking space the mm. camera is following the car so that you're always on focus on the car right and there's like it's not like the camera's staying still watching it go and like that's how most people film things anyway because it's it's like an action moving shot like it, it adds some urgency it's almost like you're moving with the character and so that's great like that kind of stuff is great um some of the bird's eye views are great especially mm. of tony's house because it makes you realize just how fucking big that thing is yeah exactly they do a good job showing off the sets yeah and like that that's the other thing it's like the sets like tony's house is so over the top like it's it's very 80s yeah but i'm just like that looks so unmanageable yes that's why you hire a bunch of people to help you with it right but at the same time it's just like how would you like it's only him and uh fucking elvira living there like how do you <laughs> <laughs> like how many fucking rooms are there there's, who knows there's, there's gotta be at least 30 rooms in that thing yeah what do you use them all for how many of them are full of bags of cash how many of them are full of uh oh, ammo true. how many of them are full of cocaine well i'm sure he doesn't keep cocaine in his house well he does keep cocaine in his house yes. but it's for personal use considerable amounts of cocaine for personal use yeah that was that, that's another thing it's just like <laughs> Why, why did he have literal mountains of cocaine just to put his face in it? That would kill you. You cannot freebase that much cocaine. Yeah, uh, who knows? Maybe he's got such a tremendous tolerance to it, you know? It doesn't, just, it doesn't uh, matter. Like, you can have a tremendous tolerance to something and still overdose. I, I guess so. I, I don't know. I, I've never experimented with narcotics. I don't know. I haven't either. It, it's just like, Jesus, man. Like, and in that last scene where there are the mountains of cocaine and he like, takes a big whiff i do kind of wonder if he was doing it to kill himself maybe interesting maybe he just needed to uh absorb a couple bullets and not worry about it for a little bit yeah i mean i don't see that's more of a thing with meth where like if someone is like out of their fucking noggin on meth they may or may not feel a bullet going through their body i yeah, don't I think no if you did enough cocaine you might be able to get a similar effect maybe maybe all i'm saying is weed would never do this to anyone just <laughs> yes. legalize it jesus christ yes legalize it. legalize it all right <laughs> that's enough that's enough of my ranting um oh but just one more thing actually uh the elephant in the room here and i'm not gonna spend a whole bunch of time on this i'm not the pc police but uh the elephant in the room here is uh tony montana is a cuban character he is of uh, latin descent uh al pacino is uh not latin no <laughs> and he uses a very thick very not convincing latin accent so just food for thought um this would not happen today they would not allow this um i think it's funny that him and uh, manny are both not hispanic yet they were they shared the screen with a lot of actual hispanic actors uh and yeah it's, and it's just like this feels wrong <laughs> yes uh you know we learned a lot in the past what is it 36 years yeah i mean it's that's that's what i mean it's like it's not like this movie was made yesterday right so right. like i'm not i'm not complaining about it it's just like it, it seems to be a regular topic of discussion when people talk about this movie now it's like oh it's so offensive it's like yes but i mean it i, I you can't change it they're not gonna remake this movie just to not have pacino in it yeah yeah uh i see it and i i think he, even if we walk it 
back all the way to the 1932 version. You think all those people are actual Italians? You think they all had the Stromboli bones? Absolutely not. Probably not, but I mean, it's it's so complicated, and like that that's just what I wanted to say. If you're listening to this episode and that part of the movie offends you, I completely understand. I agree. We are gonna trudge forward and talk about the movie anyway, but I just kind of wanted to get that elephant out of the room, you know. So, it, and if you think this is totally unnecessary, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, it's a three-hour movie. If you sat through the three-hour movie and you still need you still need to feel validated by making a big deal out of it, I mean, just don't watch the three-hour movie. Correct. There's so many other things to worry about in this world, man. This whole town's a pussy just waiting to get fucked. Sure. It's, or just it, like the fact they almost ripped a guy. No, they, they did rip a guy apart with a chainsaw. Uh, ripped or severed his limb. That actually, before we go into anything else, like that scene's actually really interesting because they don't actually show you him getting his limbs cut off. And that was actually a big point of contention with uh, the MPAA mm. was they wanted, uh, we'll talk about it later, but just, just because you brought it up, it's like that scene alone almost got in an X rating, but it's like they had to argue like you don't actually see anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they could have just, uh, you know, put a bike chain on it instead of the blade and then just like tap him with it and be like, ah, ha, 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 it's Halloween. Uh, happy Halloween. Yeah, exactly. They didn't do that. It's a real chainsaw and they just did a lot of really close shots mm-hmm. and a lot of blood. Claustrophobic. Claustrophobic. All right. Speaking of getting fucked, John, fuck me up with that cocktail, buddy. All right. Yeah. So there is a lot of booze that gets drank in this movie and uh, oh, yeah. I did not have a way to combine all of it. So I just kind of did the best that I could. So I, I thought first <laughs> thing, like, what's the first thing you think about when you think of Cuban drinks, right? You got your Cuba Libre and you got your mojito, right? Both right. have rum. Okay. Rum. Fine. What's the first thing they drink in the movie? Beer? Gin. Gin. That's right. When when they go when they go to Lopez's house, they, the yes. first thing they drink is gin. Exactly. So I kind of thought, well, okay, how do I take something that's classic Cuban and mix it with gin, which is not what I thought they were going to be drinking, you know, at first thing in the movie. Uh, so what I kind of ended up doing was something that's kind of a hybrid between a mojito and a gin fizz with a little bit of something special going on. So uh, this cocktail is called the Heart Attack. The Heart Attack. Yes. Uh, not to be confused with the other Heart Attack, which the recipe is literally a can of Red Bull and four and a half ounces of vodka. Look it up. That is a recipe. I don't know why that is. I don't know how we just consider that a cocktail. It's not. If you are, if listen, if you were 21 to 23 and you're drinking Red Bull with your liquor, cool. If you are any older than that, fuck you. You're a douchebag. Right. Uh, <laughs> definitely don't mix it like that. Just chase the vodka with Red Bull if you're going to do that to yourself. Or just don't do it. Like, if you can't just drink it straight, don't drink it. Yeah. Um, there is also a cocktail, uh, called the Liquid Cocaine Cocktail. So, that was an idea that I had to. Where I, I knew this was an existing drink and I thought I'd make a play on that. But it's really not something you want to get into. It's, uh, like, equal parts, uh, 151 proof rum and Jägermeister and um, something else. I think it's creme de menthe or peppermint schnapps or something. Like, it, it's it's a shooter and it's really not a good one. So, right. if you're just really into that, go for it. Um, th- This is not that cocktail. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead with your heart attack, John. Right. So, uh, the first thing you're going to want to do is actually start with a uh, rinsing. So, for those of you that don't know already, uh, rinsing a cocktail glass is where you take a liquor, usually something that has a really strong flavor, and you coat the inside of the glass in it and then pour out the excess. So, this gives you just like a ghosting of the flavor in the cocktail because normally you're going to do it with something that's really strong. Absinthe, uh, doing an absinthe rinse is really common because it is such an overpowering flavor. In this case, we're not using absinthe. 
We're using creme de menthe. So, so uh, you're making a is, LaCroix glass. Uh, you could look at it that way, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> so in this case, it, it's going to be creme de menthe. So uh, creme de menthe has a very overpowering menthol flavor. Um, not like peppermint schnapps where it is like a sweet peppermint flavor. It, it's, it's a little bit different than that. And it is very overpowering. So you don't really use a whole lot of it in any drink. So for this one, it is just a rinse. So rinse it inside the glass and uh, fill it with ice. Set it aside in your freezer. Let it cool down. Now you're going to take your cocktail shaker. Really, you only need the big half because you're going to stir it. And you're going to combine one and a half ounces of lime juice, one ounce of gin, a half ounce of 151 proof rum, and stir. Stir it in there with ice. Uh, get it nice and cold. And then you're going to pull your glass out of the freezer. So now you have your rinse glass with ice and your cocktail shaker. There's a couple more things you're going to need, though. You're going to need a dash of grenadine, and you're going to pour that right on top of the ice before you add the other ingredients. So then you're going to put the other ingredients in with a strainer and top with club soda. So what you get is kind of a gradient red to white effect, and you get something that kind of combines the sweetness and the lime of what you would expect in a mojito, but also pops a little bit with the herbal flavors of the gin, and it's got a cool kind of refreshing menthol thing just on the finish it's a really interesting drink um and i'm kind of proud of it that sounds awesome it sounds great for like you know the end of summer you're sitting by the pool you see a you see a like a, a chick you want to go talk to and you just start sticking your tongue out at her like uh, manny tries to do yeah yeah and then you have four of these and you feel like you got slapped <laughs> and also you might need to go to the emergency room yes uh drink responsibly always yeah, drink responsibly maybe only have like two of these john yeah maybe just have two or yeah. maybe just have one i don't know you do you man drink responsibly yeah you know your limits uh but make sure that your limits are within the means of what you have to do for that day don't drink one of these at 8 a.m if you have to go to work in an hour that would be a bad move yeah don't do that unless you just sell cocaine then you do what you want i guess that's a yeah, crime don't do so. that don't commit crimes <laughs> don't commit crimes air quotes that's from our legal team yes <laughs> we, we cannot promote crimes oh god speaking of promoting crimes and you know uh, having helping people get back on their feet uh we're gonna invite our good friend frank synopsis in to give us a, a rundown of the movie in case you haven't seen it which i guess accidentally we well not accidentally we have spoiled the entire movie movie for you basically in the first 20 minutes of this podcast so frank go ahead and give them a little synopsis so that they at least know where we're going with this a man what has he got if not cocaine then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of a snitch who squeals the record shows i did the blow and did, did it my way thank you frank snaps here till thursday oh thank you till thursday it is currently sunday is that is that the only tune you have uh it is these days i'm actually not quite so much of a performer anymore but uh this movie takes me back i love this movie did you know that i actually made an appearance here a, ca a cameo really oh did you uh i i didn't see you on the imdb uh what where were you in the movie well, in the Club Babylon scene, I'm actually the entertainer that comes out on the stage. I do my song and dance, and I flip my hat. I had a really great time. That does not surprise me. Uh, so you were the one that got shot. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, awesome. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's like to be shot in a movie? Well, you know, it's, uh, you think they're using blanks, but I mean, the blanks hurt a lot. And uh, you still bleed. Uh, I, I guess that's just for the effect. Oh, okay. So you were actually shot with real bullets. Well, oh. I mean, they kept screaming, get out, get out, get out. And uh, I didn't really know what that was about. I thought they were just telling him to, uh, you know, get out of the premises. He, he, he was getting shot at. That was a part of the, the gig. But uh, I, I, I'm beginning to wonder in hindsight if that's really what they meant. Huh. Well, I hope that you, do you get residuals from Scarface? 
Well, uh, not exactly. Uh, I, I actually worked under a stage name at the time, so uh, I think there may have been some kind of paperwork snafu. All right, Frank. Uh, hopefully they'll get that snafu fixed for you. You'll you'll get your residuals, and so you'll have two incomes. You can, you... Ooh, I'll be bus fare rich again. Yeah, they, you might even be able to tip the bus driver to let you sleep on the bus every now and again. Oh, all of that nice air conditioning, I think. Ooh, all that nice New York City bus air conditioning that doesn't exist. Ah, uh, yes, Al Pacino had air conditioning in that house that's what make it so fancy oh yeah <laughs> central air in uh you know the middle of florida is very important also oh, a tiger also a tiger yeah i mean i i guess maybe it was a precursor to a disney's animal kingdom i i that's the only thing i could think of they were like up oh, he's got a tiger in florida we could do it too oh uh, yes that and lots of cocaine lots of cocaine lots of cocaine went into building both scarface and disney's animal kingdom frank before we get too off topic tell me tell me about scarface tell me the story of Tony Montana. All right, here we go. Tony Montana, a Cuban rebel who fought against Castro and the communists, arrives in Miami, Florida in 1980 with 125,000 other Cuban refugees. He finds a niche in the cocaine trade and quickly rises within the criminal underworld. He steals his boss's wife, takes over his business, and has all the money in the world. The only thing that stands in his way are his ego, his love of bloodshed, cocaine. Cocaine him. All right, thank you. Thank you, Frank. Um, we tried to... I think I had some leftover pizza from the other night, and I put it in a Ziploc bag, and I put it in the trash can for you, so it's all yours, man. I see. I, uh, I, I'm very happy that you've done this for me. I am quite hungry. Uh, again, the residuals are not coming in. I, I really should have thought about going by uh, my own name and not Frankie Sins, which is what I was going by at the time. Uh, it, it, it ended me in some very interesting places. I can only imagine. We will, we will have to talk about Frankie Sins and the 80s another day. Uh, thank you, Frank. All right, John. Are you back? Uh, yeah. Um, you just put, like, a whole piece of pizza in your trash can? Like, in a bag? Like, yeah. Is that on purpose? Yeah, man. I'm just trying to help Frank out. He's... <sighs> He, he, he's having a rough time. I know we gave him a raise and everything, but I, I'm just trying to make sure the man can eat. And he only he will only accept it if it's in the trash can, because if it's in the trash can, that means that you don't want it anymore. So it's it's pretty sad, actually. It's, not, know, even a, it's not even a joke anymore. <laughs> my only real concern is that I think he would have eaten the pizza out of the trash can anyway, but um, the plastic bag he might choke on. Oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. So maybe I'll just, like, you know, put it in two plates next time. You know, like you do at a barbecue when you're not going to eat the food immediately but you want it to kind of stay warm uh yeah 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 do that whole number yep yep that whole that whole song and dance all right speaking of songs and dances we gotta do the whole wikipedia info this is like your basic little baby bitch info that like if you were to just go type in scarface from 1983 into wikipedia this would all be up at the top and it would be very little reading but i'm gonna give it to you anyway just because i'm nice like that all right so, Scarface from 1983 was directed by Brian De Palma and produced by Martin Bregman, uh, who is Al Pacino's um, agent as well. Uh, screenplay by Oliver Stone. Uh, you know Oliver Stone from that uh, good JFK movie. Good um, JFK movie. Yeah, uh, just, we're not talking about the one that they filmed at the camcorder. No, 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 no. We're not talking about the actual, like, fucking snuff film. I'm talking about the, um, it's basically a conspiracy movie. Oh, okay. Uh, that's fun. Yeah, and uh, also he did the uh, the Doors biopic. I see. Uh, not the one that was shot with the camcorder again. <laughs> no, I'm, I don't know what you're referring to. That sounds like 
something you probably shouldn't be in possession of. Um, Alright, so in this movie, of course, stars Al Duncacino Pacino as Tony Montana. Did you call him Duncacino? Oh, dear God, I'll have to put it up on the fucking Facebook. Um, it's... So, that is a reference to Jack and Jill starring Adam Sandler. And uh, to give you a basic rundown, because this is the only thing worth seeing from the film... Um, Adam Sandler plays a, uh, like, he directs and writes advertisements. Uh-huh. And half of the movie is him convincing Al Pacino to do a, um, Dunkin' Donuts commercial where he raps, and, uh, the rap is called Dunkachino. Okay, that's a <laughs> yeah. little on the nose. And, um, the only way that he gets it to do it is because Al Pacino is in love with Adam Sandler's character's sister, who is, of course, also played by Adam Sandler. Anyway. <laughs> I see. So this is like a Mrs. Doubtfire type situation um no this is like a uh i feel like every comedic actor from like you know the 80s to 90s like tried this at one point Uh uh-huh where they play two characters usually opposite genders uh yeah okay so it's like a tyler perry norbit yeah pretty much nutty professor like all all that kind of dumb bullshit yeah flubber yeah, uh, Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future Part 2, where he uh, plays his own daughter. Oh, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> this is not the daughter that he had. We went back and uh, went on a date with his mom. No, um, that result, like, I can't even really, I don't know how that would change everything. Like, because technically, wouldn't he stop existing? So as soon as he, like, put that first pump in, wouldn't he stop existing? That's not this movie, but it is no, a good question. <laughs> um, it really depends on what school of thought you belong to as far as time travel goes. We don't have time for that. Um, this movie also starts Stephen Bauer as Manny Ray, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Elvira in, like, one of her first uh, major roles, Mary Elizabeth Mastratino as Gina Montana, and Robert Loja as Frank Lopez. Uh, yeah. I-, I really think Gina is, a like, a character that people don't talk about a lot, but I- I- she does a really good job oh, playing yeah. this character, Mary she's, Elizabeth. She's beautiful, but. too. Like, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, but, does not get the attention she deserves, I think. Absolutely not, which is why I was glad that on the, uh, the I'll put it up on the Facebook, too, but the, the gold edition uh, for Scarface, uh, the 4K Blu-ray release, mm-hmm. she is on the cover where she deserves to be because she does a really good job in this movie, even if I think some of her motives are unwarranted <laughs> okay yeah sure but i uh, but i feel we'll, like we'll she's way more important to the plot as well oh she's she's yeah yes and no we'll t- we'll talk about it when we talk about the differences between the two films so but let's let's just let's just get our way through all this other bullshit really quick all right so the music for this movie was done by giorgio marauder um it's that uh, it's that same old 80s fucking disgusting synth music yeah yeah it reminded me of uh like some italian films I, i've been i've been on a big italian film kick recently oh that's interesting yeah yeah um it's it's just bad it it sometimes i wish they would go back and rescore some of these movies to make them like you know sound not from the 80s yeah because yeah okay that, I, I see how that could be uh worthwhile that's the only thing keeping this movie from feeling like you know kind of timeless to me uh-huh it, because anytime like some of those like synth stings come in i'm like dear god can we just not yeah yeah it, it definitely stamps it it stamps it for sure because it's it's not like we don't use synth music now but it's it's something specific about early 80s synth music and i know it's because like 
they didn't know everything they could do with the synthesizer at that time and it was kind of an experimental thing so it was probably cutting edge at the time yeah, but it's yeah, like it Mannheim just, steamroller you know yes. did the music for half the movies it's just it sounds so dated now and i i mean there's no way they could have known that then but anyway <laughs> cinematography was done by john a alonzo uh production company universal pictures distributed by universal pictures uh, it premiered in La- in uh, new york city on december 1st 1983 and was released to the public on december 9th 1983 and has a mm. runtime of 170 unforgiving minutes <laughs> yeah uh, it does seem like a pretty long runtime although i will say for a three hour long movie it didn't lose me per se i no. felt engaged by the whole thing i know you don't necessarily feel this way it's you know I don't know if it was because I watched the original. Like, I watched the original and this one pretty much back to back. And, like, the original is just so much better to me. And I don't know if maybe because this movie follows a lot of the same plot points. Like, almost verbatim. Or verbatim. <laughs> it, um, it, like, it just felt so much slower. Because I'm like, we should be getting to this part by now. We should be getting to this part by now. But, you know what? I mean, like I said, that's just me. Um, because obviously this movie had a 23.5 million to 37 million dollar budget, which I don't know how you could say that. <laughs> well, they had to put blow money in the budget. You know, well, they had to hide it. Well, yeah, but like it's 23.5 to 37 million dollars. Like that's a big gap. Like so- someone did not, someone cooked the books on this one. Maybe but- so. Uh, maybe they, uh, maybe one of the numbers factors in stuff they use for other movies and one of the numbers doesn't. Maybe. That's true. That's true. Anyway, no matter what, how you look at it, it the box office return was $66 million on its initial run. And that's not including, like, marketing and, like, all the other shit that they've done for this movie over the years. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, they, they more than doubled their money on this one. Yeah, I'd like to see the lifetime earnings on this film. You know, it's really hard to get that information because, like, a lot of these places don't share those numbers. Right, which makes sense. But still, I mean, come on. Like, Scarface is on everything. Like, it's super recognizable. Right, like... Like, like I said, that scene with him holding the, like, you know, the, I, I, is that an M16? With that is actually attached? an M16, yes. So so a lot of people will look at guns and be like, well, look at M16. Like, okay, no, it's a different gun, but it kind of looks that way. This is an M16. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of figured it was because it's, I mean, like, when you when you think about, like, a like a submachine gun, that's the gun you think of. Yeah, um, this is, like, an OG M16, like a Vietnam-era one because it does mm-hmm. the machine gun thing. It doesn't do, like, the three round burst you know right 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 which is a lot more accurate and a lot more humane if you're trying to kill something uh, maybe so uh it really just seems like he was blasting so you know oh, he did yeah. a danny devito there oh yeah no he's just blast like he but i mean like he's a pretty good shot considering it's a submachine gun and they're like pretty hard to aim and they're like not very accurate yeah i think it's insanely accurate yeah it would technically be an assault rifle but i think the cocaine is the magic bullet there like i think the cocaine <laughs> is what's doing it for him so let's talk about the humble beginnings of this film so this movie starts the way any other movie starts al pacino saw another movie and he wanted to remake it so al pacino like attended a screening of the 1932 scarface at the tiffany theater in la and he thought that he could be it could be remade into like a big hit starring himself okay uh (laughs) ambitious oh exactly i mean you have to think like i was doing some al pacino research and he was in a little movie called the panic in needle park and this was his first movie 
and he caught the attention of Francis Ford Coppola, and then the next movie Al Pacino was in was Goddamn Godfather. So, I mean, you tell me. Like, I mean, that's that's gotta give you a big head. And it's all, okay. I mean, it, it also opens a shit ton of doors for you. Like I that, see it. Like, even, like, in the years that that movie was released, it was highly regarded as one of the better films ever made, and, like, you know, a lot of the actors that were in it went on to have, like, big, long, expansive careers. Yeah. So, it, it makes sense. It makes sense that even in 1983, Al Pacino Pacino would have this kind of pull yeah it's almost like his real life acting trajectory kind of mirrors the rise and fall of tony montana where he starts off small does one small job really well has a lot of attitude and that gets his foot in the door to do big things pretty soon after Al Pacino called his agent, Martin Bergman, who's also the producer of this film, remember, uh, to get the damn thing set up. Pacino originally wanted to keep the period setting, but knew that it may or may not be possible, or that it wouldn't really work, mm-hmm. because um, why, why would you just redo the same movie again? Like, I know that they do that all the time, but, like, it, it, would, it wouldn't be any different, and I just don't think that it would have the same weight that it did in 1932 so i'm kind of glad that they didn't go with that but i'm not necessarily happy with what they ended up doing as you'll see as you'll see later on um yeah so Sidney Lamont became attached as the director and came up with the idea to make Tony a Cuban in 1980, which Pacino loved, hmm. which I don't, I don't like that he loved it, but <laughs> anyway, so the idea was for Tony to come over during the Merrill boat lift of 1980. And this is an actual historical event. And, uh, I'm just going to give a, like a small rundown of it because I don't want to like bog this thing down with information about this thing. You can go read about it. Um, this happened between April of 1980 and in October of 1980, a Castro, a Fidel Castro, basically allowed people to flee Cuba if they wished to for this short period of time only. So they would come to the United States seeking refuge status. And that's what you see Tony doing at the beginning of the year. Uh-huh. Uh, considering he uh, claims to be a political prisoner, you know, had a bad time in the Cuban army, uh, this is definitely one of those things that you're talking to, like, some random dude at, like, a gas station for some reason who's like, well, you know, the difference between us and the communists is that the communists build a wall to keep people in and like yes this does appear to be the case in this particular event but i I think you missed the point of scarface i think you missed the point of scarface and you're also missing the point of walls like if you're building a wall to keep people out you're also building a wall to keep yourself in Mm, right because you know me i'm unpredictable i'm going to go off the handle like there's no telling where i'm gonna end up i'm a loose cannon you're a loose cannon jesus christ i i hate this i hate certain aspects of this country but oh well that's not what we're talking about um so lumont dropped out of the show after his vision for a more political angle was shot down uh he wanted to make a movie that made it look like the government was responsible for all the influx of cocaine in the country uh which is uh, at that point in time debatable yeah yeah it's almost like the caa dropped a bunch of crack cocaine around oh yeah i mean i i i personally believe that that happened but there's no proof okay sure yeah there's no proof uh the crack epidemic it's almost like people didn't figure out that they could cook cocaine until then yeah i look i know i know but for the for the purposes of moving forward like i i put two political things into the show notes knowing that this would happen but it's important to be talked about to give um you know cultural context to this film yes of course uh the culture being cocaine and in the 80s you know there was a lot of it um you know it just makes it feel really dirty afterwards apparently that's the only thing i've ever heard about cocaine yeah i i i have no wish to like you know know how that feels anyway besides the point uh lumont was replaced with brian de palma and all oliver stone 
Stone was uh, hired to write the script. Uh, Stone felt a connection with the story because he too was battling a nasty cocaine addiction at the time and actually went to France to write it because he needed to get away from cocaine that badly. Ah, uh, yes. Go to France, 1983, to uh, escape your cocaine addiction. Yeah, it's not a great idea. The club scene was very, very hot at that time. Like, you know, like the dance club, like night scene that we got in the 90s? Yeah. That was all started in the 80s in France, and it still goes strong. House music is very, very popular in France. Hey, man, uh, you know more about it than I do. Uh, you know, the, the, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to slip on a baguette. <laughs> I don't want to wake up at the bottom of the river with my feet in two pans of lasagna. <laughs> I, I think you're mixing up countries. Yeah. <sighs> Did, yeah. did, did, did you float down the river from France to Italy? Hey, man, you ain't floating after this. <laughs> Give him the shoes. That's Mama's lasagna. She sat down. She sat down in the basement, and she made the noodles by hand. The thick-ass noodles, son. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. This thing weighs fifty pounds by itself. I know, cause I had to carry it up the stairs. We don't let her up. We don't let her up from the basement. She's kind of Grandma doesn't look the way she used to. She looked like a movie star when she was eighteen. Now she looks like a gremlin. We keep her downstairs so she doesn't scare the children. Boss, we can't waste good lasagna on this one. He ain't worth it. Look, look, look. The woman makes 15 lasagnas a day. We can't even give these things away. We can't sell them. So we might as well use them for cement blocks. Put them on them. Put them in the river. Anyway. There we go. That's what happens when you go to Europe and you uh, do cocaine in the nightclubs. (laughs) They're like, get your cocaine out of our our sanctuous European nightclub. We don't need this. We're too busy with legal ecstasy right now. Excellent. I don't know why I said that, like, ecstasy wasn't legal in the United States as well at a time. Anyway, um, so, although Al Pacino insisted that he get the title role, it was offered to Robert De Niro first. He turned it down. Probably because Pacino went to him and he was like, oh, no, please don't take it. I want it. Nice. Wait, so he, Al Pacino, petitioned to get the movie remade, and then they offered the position to Robert De Niro first. Oh, yeah. That's how this always works. That is awesome. That that is... I I, want to believe that it was probably some like you know studio like political games where they were like all right we'll offer it to someone else so that Pacino will want less money for this because if you'll notice even though he came up with the idea he does not get a producer credit mm. which is usually how that works I see so I'm I'm guessing they probably did this as a stunt to get him to take less money for the role which which they probably were like well if you wanted to do it badly enough uh, you wouldn't want as much money you would just want to do uh, it. I love Hollywood oh yeah I mean it's it's truly the Wild West you could get paid a shit ton of money to be a walk-on character like a cameo and get paid next to nothing to be the lead character in like an iconic film it's it's a it's a weird town it really depends on who your agent and who your lawyer is yeah exactly and how many puddles of human urine you stood in that day jesus christ well i mean the whole town is pissed so i don't know anyway yeah. <laughs> So, Michelle Pfeiffer was actually an unknown at the time, and Martin Bergen fought for her to be in the film. Uh, I don't know why. No one else involved wanted her in it. Uh, the actresses who auditioned were, um, Glenn Close, Gina Davis, Carrie Fisher, Kelly McGillis, Sherry Stone, and Sigourney Weaver. Okay, um, Sigourney Weaver would have been an interesting choice, I think. Uh, that definitely would have changed the trajectory of her career a little bit. I think it would. I mean, this was post-Alien, so, I mean, I think, I think she would have been okay i think it just would have been another iconic role for her, but i mean honestly i think michelle pfeiffer does a very good job um i oh, don't I think so too the only thing is like writing wise i don't really know what her character's motivation is like 
I don't know what she wants. Like, does she... Is, like, because at times it seems like she's tired of being in this lifestyle of, like, you know, just being, like, you know, the sex toy of, like, whoever the big boss is in town. But, like, she... Until the end of the movie, she does nothing to, like, counteract that, but also, like, doesn't mention it ever. So I, I don't I don't really know what her character's about. Like, yeah, we, it... we kind of got a better sense in the 1932 version of what this character was about. I suppose so. I think maybe in the 30s version, uh, it, it played maybe more of an active role in the story. That's not really the case here. She is really an accessory, and maybe that's the point. Maybe she fell into it, you know? Maybe it was not mm-hmm. her intention to end up in this lifestyle, but it just kind of takes you. Right, and that's that's sad. I don't like that. I hate that for her. You know what else I hate? Uh, John Travolta was considered for the role of Manny, oh, but he yeah. never For a second, I thought auditioned. you were going to say he was considered for the role of, uh, you know, what's-her-face? Elvira. Yeah. No, John Travolta. So, John Travolta was in a weird time of his career, right, at this minute in Hollywood, where, like, he just kept being in, like, really shitty fucking movies. Yeah, yeah, he was molting, because he formed a cocoon to change from Danny Zuko, John Travolta, to Pulp Fiction, John Travolta. Exactly, and, like, Pulp Fiction is eventually what pulled him out of all of that, but not this one. I, I I mean, I like the guy that plays Manny a lot better. I don't know if I would have liked John Volta in this role. I, I just want to see I John Travolta, he... like, painted orange to try and be Cuban. <laughs> yeah. See, that that's that's why I put that disclaimer at the beginning. It's like, they, they are painted orange. I didn't, Look, man, I, I didn't did want to go Willy there. Willy Wonka, and they can do it here. <laughs> Our president can do orange face, so why can't, why can't they? Again, not a political podcast. <laughs> not a political pocket i mean i don't really think I, I i showed my political hand there it's just a fact the man is orange anyway I, yes <laughs> let's get into the filming of this of this goddamn thing all right so despite taking place in miami only two percent of the film was actually shot in florida this mostly had to do with the fact that the cuban american population of florida rejected this film because they knew it would paint them in a bad light uh de palma and pacino seemed to care very little about this uh more on that later <laughs> so like since when has hollywood cared about that type of thing uh the answer is like 2012 yeah exactly like since since basically since tumblr has been around that hollywood yes. has started caring uh so most so that being said most of the filming took place in la and new york uh, the crew used camera tricks to keep L.A. out of sight. For example, uh, the internment camp scene at the beginning of the film was shot on an underpass to keep the L.A. skyline out of view. Oh, yeah, a little known fact, that's just a part of L.A. <laughs> just everything obstructs L.A. But yeah, 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 everything, LA yeah, everything obstructs, obstructs LA. L.A. And there's a tent city under just about every junction. Really? It's, yeah. It's a thing? Yeah. Oh, God, okay. I mean, okay, maybe not like that crazy, but yes, yes. Tents are a common sight. Jeez, that's... You you, know, you go to san diego similar thing you go to san francisco it's like oh god like it's it's bad uh you go to berkeley and there's li- like you exit off the highway into berkeley and you're like oh look there's more tents than buildings <laughs> that is that is horrifying i i feel bad for people that have to live like that i really do welcome to the big ca <laughs> the big ca cancer ass um all right so <laughs> yep <laughs> All right, so Pacino burned his hand on the hot muzzle of a gun they used while filming. Okay. Um, so the guns, so th- that's the thing that I think is kind of interesting. So the guns that they use in the film are not like the 1932 original where they were, you know, real. Yeah. <laughs> These are prop guns that fire, quote unquote, blanks or just make sparks at the end. And they do get pretty hot. Uh, yeah, they're I've more dangerous one. than people think they are. Yeah, that's how um Brandon Lee got killed. Um, But... <sighs> 
they they do get really hot like especially if you've been like you know rehearsing with them they they get really hot and so i could see how al pacino might accidentally freak like because you know it's not a real gun you're not thinking about the fact that it's been shooting like you know little sparks out of it for the last two hours he probably just picked it up by the muzzle after they came off a break and just went ah fuck yeah could be uh you know it could just be hey uh this thing is oh crap i touched my arm with the thing you know like it happens sometimes i guess when you're not smart yeah when you're when you're al pacino yes dunkachino everybody all right um speaking of uh on set accidents uh two stuntmen were injured in a premature bomb explosion on set all right is there ever a <laughs> premature bomb explosion i was always under the impression that bombs were like gandalf and they arrive exactly when they mean to um most of the time yes but, you know, someone might have, like, thought that the scene was... That's the thing with these things. It's, like, sometimes they put them on a timer instead of, like, having a butt. Because they think that they've rehearsed it so well that they don't need to do that. But if if the actors take even one second longer than what they're supposed to, you're putting people in danger. And that's why everything is done in CG now. It's just safer for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, absolutely no fun. Exactly. But, I mean, there's still some practical explosions and things. I mean, they still do that. It's just they film it and then they film everybody on a green screen in front of it like no one's ever actually near the explosion or at least they try not to as much as possible which i mean it's safer it means everybody gets to go home and nobody dies from like you know making entertainment i mean th- right, yeah. that, that's not fair to me uh, we're gonna have like a movie in a couple years like the last stuntman and then <laughs> you know like everything's been taken from him his job has been erased by mechanical monsters and, and the only th- and the only thing he can do is become a computer program and be a stuntman on the internet <laughs> i think that you just described the matrix <laughs> i basically described the matrix but it's like you know you, you just see him like dissolve himself into the computer and then he's just in final cut pro yeah i love it he <laughs> lives there now and like the, you see you see someone like going to edit a movie and he's like hey let me do it <laughs> I... <laughs> and it, it's almost like a ratatouille type thing where like this guy is like the that editor becomes like just the, the most like in-demand editor it's like we don't even have to shoot the people on the movie he just does it. I don't so know how he, he does it. He cranks it out in like an hour. He's literally <laughs> just in there, just like taping bits together. <laughs> Someone make this movie. Make it right now. It's Cyber Chase. It's that kids TV show from like We're PBS in 2004. <laughs> All right, anyway. Uh, yeah, 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 all right. All right. We, we were a generation raised on public access because our parents didn't want to pay for cable. Anyway, um, the last little bit of fucking... Jesus Christ, I can't even segue into this. Um, so Steven Spielberg directed a single camera shot in the final gunfight because he was visiting the set that day. And when you're Steven Spielberg, that's what you get to do. Right. That's that... actually how he started his whole fucking career. Like oh, he... we talked about it. You know, one day you're hopping on a Universal tour and the next day you're uh, getting E.T. his coffee. <laughs> well, I think E.T. was getting Steven Spielberg's coffee. I don't know, man. I, I don't know how that works. You can't do that anymore. You have to have like a degree in shit. Anyway... To be E.T. or to get coffee for E.T.? Both. Ah, I see. Yeah. You can't you you can't just be E.T. You might be able to just be Alf though. Because I, I don't I don't I think they probably let the copyright slip on Alf. I'm pretty sure they put Alf down at the ASPCA. Probably. I mean it's just it's that thing of like, why the fuck would they not like send that thing off to a medical lab just like in Lilo and Stitch when they get Stitch into the fucking 
you know, Animal Pound. Why did they not send him to, like, the nearest, like, research hospital for animals? Um, like, why, 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 why was it even possible for him to be adopted? I think someone probably just looked at him and was like, well, if we don't adopt him now, he's getting the shot. He, he's, he's, he's going to the big, to the big doghouse in the sky where there's just bones and death. Bones and more <laughs> bones. There's a bunch of dead dogs up there. There's a lot of bones. <laughs> Lots of fire hydrants for pee and all, but you can't tell they're fire hydrants anymore because they've been peed on so much, and all they're eating are dog bones, so they just piss out dog bones, so it just looks like a pile of dog bones. Anyway. How did we get here? I don't know. This is a horrible bit, and I just doubled down on it, and I'm so sorry. Anyway. Ah, uh, yes, the double down. It's where you take the fried chicken and make it into a hot dog. No, that's a, that's a heart attack. You should drink that with our cocktail for this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the release of this thing. All right. So just like the 1932 original, this film had a really hard time with the censors. In 1932, it was the Hayes Board. But in 1983, it was the MPAA. So which one do you dislike more? Um, I dislike both of them because they're both inconsistent. Ah, that's the reason you don't like it. Well, I mean, like, because censorship is a thing. And, like, I agree with keeping children from seeing things like Scarface, but they should never be in a position where they could see Scarface in the first place. Just be a fucking parent. Why, yeah. why, why do we need a government facility to tell you that your kids shouldn't watch a movie about a man who comes to America and sells cocaine and ends up killing a bunch of people? Like, do your own fucking research. Yeah, I really think that the rating system should be like, uh, G should be for groovy. So all the movies that are PG-13 and above are now G, <laughs> you know? Um, and then there's like KG, which is kind of groovy. And then there's like movies for like all ages you're like, eh, yeah. fodder. It's just like, uh, it's like in video games where you see something that has that, like, E10 rating and it's like, oh, well, this isn't gonna be very good. No, exactly. Like, it's not edgy enough to be entertaining and it's not something you can play with a five-year-old. So, like, well, uh, what am I gonna do with this? Like, it's, I would never buy it for myself and I'm not gonna buy it for anybody else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It exists in video game purgatory. Exactly. It's like, it's some of my favorite games are rated E10, but, I mean, like, that's, that's neither here or there. Most things that were rated E10 was basically, like, like, you know, licensed video games. But anyway, that's not that. We will talk, we will be talking about video games here in a minute, but you know, not E10 games. Right. All right. So the MPAA gave Scarface an X rating, uh, which would be uh, the NC-17 of the day. Mm. Uh, Universal required the film to get an R rating to be distributed and marketed because most magazines and TV channels wouldn't advertise a rated X movie because of its ties to the pornography industry. It's almost like they didn't have to make them the same thing. It's almost as if they didn't have to. But, well, yeah, they would take a movie like this and be like, oh, you know what? That's basically porn. It, I mean, it's murder porn, but, like, I think I think it comes from, uh... So, like, back in the 70s, things like, uh, Deep Throat, which is, like, a, like one of the most famous, like, hardcore pornography films of all time, was actually shown in normal theaters, and, like, it used to be an okay thing to do. Oh, that's fun. Uh, is, yeah. is this how Pee Wee Herman got in trouble? Uh, no, he went to a specifically porn theater. This is why porn theaters became a thing, because, like, the, like, you know, the Karens of the day got pissed that, you know, there would be men, like, a, like, in one theater watching deep throat and then the next one they'd be watching fern gully oh like, i they, see they didn't like that shit so fern gully is from the 90s i don't know why that's the first thing that came to my mind but anyway why that, that's not? basically the point like th these these are two completely different types of entertainment they should be separated so they but they still got the x rating and so then the x rating became like you know the thing that oh we can't advertise it because it's porn and karen's are gonna get mad because it has nipples um <laughs> mm -hmm. and no karen has nipples no karen has nipples all 
all Karens are Barbie dolls. Yes. Anyway, or like Angela from The Office. That's what I think of when I think of a Karen. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah, okay. Not to bring The Office into it. Well but, earned. <laughs> well earned. Um, all right, so Universal required the film to get an R rating to be distributed. Um, and De Palma and Universal accepted the X rating and made uh, minor cuts to get the R rating, which I think they cut like maybe 45 seconds of like some of the more hardcore violence. Um, and yeah. So, like just stuff that the, like, cause when they give you an X rating, they give you a reason why and like suggestions they make so um they they recut the film and they were successful and they got the r rating but De Palma just released the uncut version of the film anyway and no one ever find him like they like they didn't say hey that's the that's the x-rated version that we did it's like they literally cut so little from it that it didn't matter i like it i like I, this little workaround here i wonder what their criteria was like where they're like you're not showing enough of the angel moroni joseph smith is not mentioned one time where is all the <laughs> The underwear oh god let's not let's let's not bring the mormons into this well we if we ever talk about south park bigger longer uncut we can go there i see uh, this is not a political podcast this is not a uh, religious podcast uh, unless you want to make a religion about us i don't recommend that um i mean i think it would make people better people but you know what don't don't do that i i don't want that i don't want that kind of pressure did i, I ever tell you about the time that me and one of our mutual friends sean made a uh, a roller coaster tycoon park that was based around a uh, italian food cult called our lady of perpetual mozzarella i i remember you guys talking about our lady of perpetual mozzarella i did not know that it was roller coaster tycoon based it was roller coaster tycoon based that's the only way to do a real cult video game that is amazing i love it um we, we'll have to do a uh we'll have to do a special mini episode we'll get sean on here and you guys can talk about it ah uh, yes <laughs> all right so uh i don't know if anyone else finds this interesting let me know in the comments but I'm going to go through some of the uh, the home video releases for this thing. Because there are a lot. Alright, so in the summer of 1984, Scarface was released on VHS, Betamax, Picture Disc, and Laserdisc. Picture Disc. Yeah, it was it's the it was the um, competitor of Laserdisc. Nice. We don't we, we don't talk about it much. We don't talk about Picture <laughs> it's, Disc. It's picture like, Disc is dead. It was around for such a small amount of time. It was just like a, the HD DVD versus Blu-ray thing. Uh, I see, except Laserdisc was the HD DVD and Picture Disc was Diskettes? Uh, no. I mean, they were still just giant like vinyl record size cds hmm, not so, worth it. yeah not worth it and it was a uh, and i know no one cares about the well people do care about it but like i don't know how many people care about this it was in a uh, 1 to 33 to 1 uh pan and scan aspect ratio which is oh it was a bestseller though <laughs> i i'm mad about it because you're mad about it i support you it's um it's just one of those like listen uh, if i get to, if you take one thing away from this podcast do not like do the thing where you're like there's black bars between the end of the television and the picture i, I want paid the for full the screen. whole television i want picture on all the television exactly don't don't be that guy don't be that girl don't be that them just um just watch it the way the director fucking intended you to watch it and if that means there's black bars you know why those black bars are there because that's how they shot it they wanted you they wanted a wider scope and you got a wider scope so stop stop being a dick like when you pan and scan these things like we're so lucky they kept the original negatives of a lot of these things because otherwise that's the only version of some of these movies we would have so i'm uh, glad yeah. that it's kind of gone and people just accepted the black bars it's like watching a movie with beer goggles on 
Exactly. It's it's so annoying and it's gross and I don't like it. And if you like it, fuck you. Um, so the film was then released in widescreen format, two to thirty one to two thirty nine to one aspect ratio, which is pretty good. In uh, nineteen ninety eight, when uh, the film was re released on VHS and DVD, um, so that's good. They they fixed the aspect ratio. Um, a TV version, uh, which was cut for content and time, was released on ABC on January 7th, 1989, and it cut about 32 minutes of content. Uh, the use of the word fuck was either replaced or bleeped. Nice, just in case you wanted to take a gander at what the word was. Exactly, so if you, it's like, I'm so fluffing done, or yep. I'm so like I Like, half this movie is the word fuck, so I don't, right. I don't know. I never thought this would be a good one for TV. Uh, it makes sense why and again this the the bleeping out i do we not know like if you know you know and if you don't know you're gonna come up with something way weirder and worse exactly it's i mean personally i believe that if it is content that is not intended for general audiences and it's coming on late enough where reasonably children wouldn't be watching children don't watch cable tv anymore anyway like just 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 let them say the f word like it doesn't matter right and you can just hop on youtube it's free and they're gonna try to sell you tide pens while they do it all right the film was then released again in a 20th anniversary edition on vhs and dvd in 2003 Uh, it was finally released on blu-ray in 2011 uh this set was criticized for having a really poor quality. Um, it it pretty much had the uh, the 1998 DVD uh, version of the film on it. So, but this version, uh, the first Blu-ray release, actually had a special edition where it came inside of a cigar humidifier. So you can have a cigar face like cigar humidifier I, i'm glad that they did this this makes it really easy for me to play uh havana roulette with my friends havana we're gonna get sued now all it's right it's like um, that except there's a turd on the table jesus christ i i sometimes i wish that camille cabello would have to smoke a turd i really do well if you blindfold her and she picks the wrong cigar i mean world's your oyster man you get that blowtorch going you're gonna have a great time i'm gonna get le- i'm gonna have to get legal on this conversation make sure we can release it ah yeah okay i you know what that's <laughs> hey if you lead ass you'll smoke a turd just saying um i you know what I'm, I'm gonna let you have that one but i don't agree with it all right so and finally um the most recent version and like i would think probably the version to end all versions probably because they will never come out with another physical version of this um a 4k blu-ray was released on october 2019 um a special edition was released with the original scarface and a world is yours bust that was sold alongside the normal set um this set also includes the tv version of the film which i think is incredibly interesting and i picked it up for that reason alone ah like yeah, you just don't... in case you wanted to watch a a patently inferior version i mean i just think it's interesting that like you get the choice like you get you're basically getting every cut of the film i think yes, that's kind of cool i understand that uh the original scarface was also given its own separate release in november 2019 mar- marking its only time on a uh, digital disc hmm. which is pretty fucking cool all right, so let's talk about the legacy of this film. I promise I'm done talking about the fucking home video releases if you were skipping forward. Um, so the legacy of this film is that it put Michelle Pfeiffer on the map. Like, she was in a bunch of shit right after this. So, you know, pretty cool that they put her in, like, such a big movie with a big limelight on her. Even yeah. if her character was kind of meh. Um, 
Yeah. A, a video game was released on October 10th, 2006 called Scarface The World Is Yours on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and PC. A port to Xbox 360 and Wii were planned, but canceled. Right, just in case you wanted to shake the Wii remote and the nunchuck to run away from all of your responsibilities and <laughs> armed men. You have to use the Wii balance board. Yeah, you have to lift the Wii remote up to your face so you can scream cockroaches into the mic. <laughs> you have to put it inside the Wii wheel. Yeah, um, so you can drive to, drunk. To, to do some of the impossible fucking um, turns and drifts they do in this movie. Yeah, of course. And you got the with the Wii zapper so you can hit your N16 game. <laughs> It's got a little button and it's got a Nerf-like um, grenade launcher on it so that you can reenact the uh, the final scene. It, it is amazing. And it comes with like a like a tie, you know, so you can wear that because you're, you're not wearing much else. You're sitting on your couch in your boxer shorts with your like novelty, the world is yours tie on that came with your Wii game. And you're just sitting there playing uh, the Scarface on the Wii. How did they never come out with a game where you could use all of the different attachments and like the game gives you time to switch between the attachments? Right. Call it like Wii Toy Chest. Wii Toy Chest. And what better like frame to give it than Scarface? Yeah, exactly. Use all the tools at your disposal. You can use like the Wii Sports Golf Club and Baseball Bat. I love it. You know what? Let's let's retroactively do this. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna put a no on this. It's now a 15-year-old console that is defunct. Look, people still make NES games. People make homebrew NES games still. Yeah, but that's fun. Nobody asked for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at for it. Anyway, so um, the game was stylized after GTA Vice City, which was already um, which already had a very similar plot line to the original film. Um, Al Pacino did not reprise his role because the producers of the game and Pacino himself agreed that his voice had changed too much. Uh, however, Robert Loja did provide his voice for the for the film, which oh. doesn't make any sense given the plot line of the game. Uh, because the game is in an alternate reality where Tony did not die in the gunfight, and he exacts revenge on all those who wronged him. That's fun. I like when they do that with games, like how they have a Goonies 2 for the Nintendo Entertainment System yeah. and no Goonies 1. That's amazing. It's like a spiritual successor to the movie on the Nintendo. You know what? I'm cool with that. That's basically what this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like... Like, but it, if it takes place, like, directly after the big gunfight, Robert Loge's character would have been dead already. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it's like Scarface 2, uh, Narcotic Boogaloo. Narcotic Boogaloo. You thought Lopez was dead, but that's because you were on all that cocaine, Tony, that's why. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't yeah, it dead. definitely had nothing to do with the fact that you just got wrecked. <laughs> he got wrecked in that last scene. He got shot, like, 13 times. I mean, honestly, I'm so surprised, and then, like, that, I, I, I don't know how realistic stick that uh that double barrel shotgun in the back was but like he looked like he was just like like he had jumped into a pool of blood but it was just his body yeah 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 it's actually kind of a cool effect that guy for whatever reason when i saw him i just thought shaft like i know he has very little resemblance to shaft but i just thought shaft yeah, you just you just saw him slapping some bitches around and uh, it, it shooting people with a double barrel shotgun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe also a, a, like a Matrix thing, you know? He did look very Neo. Maybe maybe it's a Matrix Shaft like um, crossover film. I don't. I know. like that. I like it. Um, and of course, you know, if we're talking about the legacy of this film, uh, it's endlessly influential on the hip hop scene as well as becoming, like we said earlier, like a quintessential like dude movie. Right. Like in because you know you would see you know like Fifty Cent with like a Scarface shirt on 
on like in the early 2000s it was it was very big agreed um so ju- just to close this out because you know we did this whole series so we might as well talk about it uh, let's talk about the differences between the two films uh the world is yours 1930 th- that whole thing i thought was kind of interesting um i don't know what cook's tours is but in 1932 like the world is yours sign was for like something called cook's tours which i can only assume is like a travel agency of some sort yeah yeah it could be it could be like that thing that happens in hollywood where you're just chilling on the sidewalk and a guy comes up and says, hey man you want to get on this bus hey you want to get on this bus that doesn't have a roof on and go look at some buildings how would you want to take a tour of hollywood be like shut the fuck up get away from me <laughs> I, i'm tired I of this i can't relate um and and then in the 1983 version uh, it's pan american airways right so that that's what makes me think that cook's tours has to be some sort of travel ac uh the 1983 version follows almost all the same plot lines in the second half though to the 1932 version because like they kind of take some liberties in the beginning with like the uh the whole backstory and everything of tony yeah but like it, as the film progresses it it's pretty much the same film. yeah i feel like in the 32 version they kind of come into it with tony clemente already being involved in the chicago crime scene right it's it starts with him moving up yes and i think that they could have done that here but i think they wanted to add the political angle to it for whatever reason i see i mean they did it in the first one too they just kind of did it in a different way exactly it's just three hours for this movie i just i still don't get it but you know what to each his own um both have very period accurate soundtracks um as much as i hate scarface 1983's soundtrack i just despise it especially like the original song that was written for it it just sounds so fucking awful and out of place yeah yeah it's almost like they tried to do a godfather thing but like with you know again Mannheim steamroller exactly it, it was like it's just like what the fuck is going on can you not do that that is yeah too yeah and it kind of fits but i think that's just because like it's been built up in pop culture so much like you just kind of have to accept it exactly but i don't have to because i don't <laughs> right all right so uh both films kind of portray immigrants in a very poor and inaccurate light so i mean it's i mean it does do that pretty well (laughs) yeah i agree um in the 1932 version they were not eating pasta um (laughs) no (laughs) right Uh, and in this one they literally had them working in a cuban like sandwich stand yeah 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 exactly and i mean you know what hey man that's the american dream you come here and you work in a sandwich stand and you watch people across the street do dumb stuff and then you kill a guy with a knife and then they pay you 500 dollars. which i mean in 1983 is a lot more than it is today exactly exactly maybe not worth stabbing a guy to death in what's essentially a prison camp but i i, I don't know uh, you know I what know. you do you man you do what you gotta do all right and um, slay king <laughs> slay king all right so in the De Palma version of the gina character actually kind of confronts tony about his attraction to her Whereas in the 1932 version, it's only kind of subtly hinted at. It is. It is. I don't know if that's like a time and place thing. I don't know. Like, because I don't really feel like... Because he wasn't... As much as I loved Gina whenever she was on screen, I thought she did a really good job. Like, it wasn't as intense as the 1932 version. Like, you saw him, like, you know chase that guy off after he you know was dancing with her and took her to the bathroom which in height you know it's kind of skeevy don't do that yes um uh, but you know what i'm gonna go out on a limit say i don't like it I on the like record it. don't like that don't like that don't do that and like you know of course he kills manny because he marries her it's, right it, like that scene almost goes exactly the same way as the night 32 version but yes. um i don't know it's just like i felt like the creepiness wasn't exactly there like was he overprotective yes 
But did it get creepy? No. The 1932 version, it was creepy. It was creepy. I think it didn't get weird until the end of it when, like, Gina's, like, really, like, stoned or mm -hmm. whatever. They gave her some drugs or whatever, and then she comes in and tries to shoot at him a couple times. That's well, that, when stuff gets really weird. Well, that's what I mean is, like, I felt like it wasn't warranted. Like, in the 1932 version, if she would have said something like that, that would have been like, okay, I get it. But it just it just didn't come off the same way to me. What well, not the same feels didn't like it um and then finally like uh the original i think the, the endings are the biggest difference so in the original tony begged for forgiveness and he got killed anyway in uh the de palma version he begs no one and basically takes his own life and goes out in a blaze of glory you know i think that he hmm, it definitely happens differently than it did in the other version i think that this one like he does ask for forgiveness but it is too late gina is dead and he like he can't accept that mostly because he's just like flying through space you know like he's mm -hmm. not even on this planet anymore because of how much cocaine he's consumed but i i think maybe that's the point right is that like he uses this to get ahead because he thinks it's going to be good for the people around him he thinks that you know his mom and his sister are going to take him back and his mom does and his sister does more so you know than his mom does but it ends up being the thing that drives them away and it ends up being the thing that takes everything that he actually loved away from him exactly and so i think that's why just when he knew it was over he knew those people had the house surrounded it's like well i might as well just do everything i can and go out fighting and also cocaine oh also cocaine <laughs> i'm gonna do this huge amount of cocaine and then i'm gonna kill some people and they're probably gonna kill me but that's okay yeah man honestly man this this is the end of the line so i may as well do as much of this blow as i possibly can uh and you know chase my sister's ghost around with this m16 <laughs> jesus christ all right well i think that's gonna about wrap it up john did you have anything else you wanted to say about uh either scarfaces i think that this uh series went really well yeah i don't have anything to say we can put this one to rest in the fountain that's in its own house uh just like uh your boy tony montana just like your boy Mo tony montana it's its final resting place all right everybody well uh like we said that's gonna do it for four year inflammation this week uh, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Go watch a new movie this week. Go give us five-star review on Apple Podcasts so that we can uh, get some more shitty friends in here. We can get kind of a... Maybe we'll get a Discord going. That would be cool. That would be fun. That would be fun. So uh, tell your shitty friends. All right. Bye, guys.